Hello and welcome to another episode of A Slice of Health, the Candid Health Chat podcast, where we slice away health truth from health fiction. Join me and my friends as we challenge common health myths via chit chat, powered by several cups of coffee. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us on social media and do visit us at a sliceofhealth.club. Let's get to today's episode. On today's episode, we are joined by Dr. Sula Wingerson, who is an accredited health psychologist, chartered psychologist and cognitive behavioural therapist. She currently works for the NHS in South London and Maudsley NHS Foundation Trust, developing and delivering services in the long-term conditions care pathway for Croydon Talking Therapies. She has a PhD from King's College London in psychological medicine and her thesis was based on data from the largest randomised control trial of CBT for IBS to date, the results of which were published in the BMJ and the Lancet Gastroenterology and Hepatology. Her journey into health psychology rapidly evolved from her own experience as a patient experiencing multiple medically unexplained symptoms of a urogynecological nature. On today's episode, Dr. Sula discusses with us stress management during the current COVID-19 pandemic. Hello champions and welcome to another episode. Today I have Dr. Sula in with us today and we're going to be talking about COVID-19, why we're stockpiling on toilet paper and how do we deal with stress in a way that is productive and, um, you know, less traumatising. Welcome Dr. Sula. Hi, thanks for having me. (laughs) Thanks for coming on. So tell us a a bit about yourself before we get into the episode. Yeah, so I'm I'm a health psychologist. I did my um, doctoral training at King's College London and I uh, also did a PhD at King's College London. My PhD was looking at cognitive behavioural therapy and why that works for reducing symptom severity in IBS. Um, and yeah, now I work for the NHS in improving access to psychological therapies. That is awesome. Thanks for coming on today. So obviously COVID-19 sort of taken over the world and it, it appears to be on every single continent right now. So no one has been spared um, the, you know, the significant impact that it's had on us. Um, how are you coping with COVID-19? So far, so good. I can't complain. Um, I had three days in the house without leaving it and it didn't mm. feel that bad. But today was my first um, outing in three days, so, and so I really appreciated that. I think I'm just seeing an increase in work as we try and rally around and kind of help out our colleagues in the NHS. So there's an increase in, in that respect. And I think a personal challenge is from working at home, which we're fortunate to be able to do, it makes it a bit more difficult making that work home divide. So. I guess that's a, a personal um, difficulty at the moment, but um, yeah, not too bad, not too bad really overall. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. I think it's definitely had an impact on everyone, regardless of sort of the kind of work that you do and what your socioeconomic background has been. Um, so 
the first question I have is why did we stock up on toilet paper? That's that it's bothered me for a really long time. I figured someone who studies the mind and understands human behavior might have a decent hypothesis. <laughs> I so I'm gonna make a huge disclaimer that I have no idea from a, a research point of view. Um, but I, I guess my hypotheses might be in line with I mean yeah the the taboo around um poo <laughs> maybe, yeah. which we see in ibs a lot and the, the kind of horrifying uh catastrophic ideas that we've got about what it might be like to have the symptom of diarrhea without being able to wipe, <laughs> wipe our bums maybe that yeah. was a really, really scary thought for people um but it was interesting to me because I didn't even realise that was a symptom and people really obviously honed in on that. So I, I wonder if there was a bit of disinformation along the way of that being, you know, a front and centre symptom. And yeah. Um, and yeah, there was a bit of Chinese whispers and, and people are really scared of in accidents and being caught short. So, so perhaps there was something in that that seemed a lot more violating than... Uh, <laughs> than having a fever or something than having a fever and what kind of things determine a person's response to um to stress so what what is there anything specific that might sort of be a predisposing factor to how each person then responds to stressful situations um Again, I don't think there's any one particular markers. Obviously, you know, the broad things that we might expect have a have an impact um, mm -hmm. and interact with that. So upbringing, how we've been taught to, to deal with particular crises or just yeah. in general, that will have a massive impact. Um, our self-esteem in terms of how well we think or how, yeah, how able we are to cope with particular things. I yeah. think also the nature, the interaction of the nature of the threat and our perceived coping responses. So somebody might be really good at coping with a particular type of stress, but then when it comes to health, that, that seems really scary and out of their comfort zone. So, so very generally, it's what we perceive our coping and rescue resources to be will determine mm. how anxiety provoking this is and how stressful it is. Um, and, you know, also i guess one of the struggles that we're seeing with this covid19 and and people's responses there's a, a real variation from people taking it really seriously and taking all the measures and may, maybe more to people still going out for barbecues in the park yeah. and obviously yeah. they're one of the big disparities there is how bad they they perceive um the threat to be and some people will think it's a really huge threat you know they'll be thinking of it from all angles if i don't get it someday i care about my if if we don't then we could infect other people down the line and that would be awful whereas other people might not entertain that and think then yeah. that it's that, that terrible so i think all those things really play into it yeah into how we respond and is there anything so you said something about sort of family backgrounds and um and that also then determining how we respond to stress and perhaps our family of origins as well how they responded to stress because sometimes I think it's a learned behavior is there anything that sort of acts as a protective mechanism in terms of how we've been brought up that then makes us better able to deal with stressful situations when they present again um I'm not hugely familiar with the the research on on 
you know specific upbringing factors that make us better able to respond to stress specifically but you know from the wider research i imagine that how how we've seen our parents cope with things are the yeah. strategies that we then use or we you know have have developed alternative strategies where we've seen that that's yeah. not been helpful yeah so i guess those kind of things um would kind of impact on how we deal with stress but stress is such a transient word you know it can mean so many different things to different people and we might be really able to deal with particular types of stresses and less able to to deal with others um and and that will depend on our previous experiences and how we've uh, being able to to face different things in the past and and how we perceive our resources to think mm -hmm. and obviously working you know clinically what kind of factors do you think contribute significantly to health anxiety um yeah, yeah. Um, i think well i'm not sure what contributes i think I, i'm as a, a clinician I'm, I'm less interested in in what contributes and what more what maintains so okay. i think you know um we could think of contributing factors might be again you know there is a some evidence to suggest that if um there's a family history of health anxiety then you might be more yeah. likely to get it but equally people can have health anxiety when their, their parents aren't particularly health anxious but it's generally a, a belief um or a perception that things would be particularly bad and that can be accumulated from our environment from you know different experiences that we've had um so those those generally are, are things that might contribute to getting it but what i'm interested in is what maintains it and what we see in health anxiety one of the key things really from my point of view is people's symptom focus because it's so terrible to get whatever the focus of the the health anxiety is they tend to focus a lot on their symptoms because it makes sense from their point of view yeah. they're trying to protect themselves i must monitor this if this gets worse yeah. then i'll go and see my doctor but actually what that ends up doing is um we do this little behavioral experiment often where we say can you feel your left foot and you know without thinking about it and people aren't really paying attention to the left foot and then we give them an opportunity to um just really think about your left foot now what does that you know what's going on there can you feel anything and you know 99.9 percent .9 of, of the time people start to feel symptoms they didn't feel before i can feel something now actually. yeah exactly i can feel mine <laughs> so that's exactly what goes on when people symptom focus it's showing the mind oh there's something going on here that you want to pay attention so we get more feedback um and that really exacerbates as you can imagine the whole health anxiety because we're getting more yeah. feedback then the, the mind's catching on oh there is something there so then we have to focus more and it just goes around in this cycle and i think i would pinpoint um one of the biggest challenges in health anxiety is is the symptom focusing but th there are other kind of maintaining factors too okay and what other sort of maintaining factors perpetuate health anxiety um i suppose um safety behaviors is a huge one so we always give this example of if you use particular safety behaviors if i think that i'm gonna um catch a sickness bug and it's going to be really really um terrible and evolve into something you know lifelong or whatever it might be then i might go out of my way to 
rinse every surface I come in contact with, use all that antibacterial hand gel, et cetera, et cetera, all these measures designed to keep me safe. But it means that I never get the opportunity to see that actually without using it, I'm still not sick. And that worst case scenario doesn't happen. So it, it feeds into this assumption that you need to keep doing it. So that maintains the anxiety. Oh my gosh, if I'm without my hand gel one time, I might really be be um in trouble so mm. so safety behaviors and they can be really really subtle ones um they might not be ones that people think will completely get rid of the problem but just even you know asking reassurance all the time if mm. we rely on that a lot then that means that we're not seeing for ourselves that we can move our attention away and we're absolutely fine so mm. i guess that's another another key one um and then really the thoughts about getting symptoms and what that would mean yeah. Um, often we're, we're kind of working in therapy to try and help people look at it from a different perspective and build up the, the ideas that the risk isn't as likely and should something happen they would have the ability to cope with it, it might not be great and it you know it wouldn't be what we would wish but should that happen you would have the resources to cope with it so I guess those are the key things really Okay. And how do you encourage someone into then understanding that actually you do have the, the resources to cope when they feel um, like in this COVID situation, so many people feel helpless and they feel out of control? How do you then get an individual back to a point where actually you are able to cope with it if, if this does happen? Yeah, I guess, I guess with um I guess it would differ actually slightly with with general health anxiety around a specific topic um we might consider particular scenarios and um use imagery even you know what would that be like and if we think about it what would happen and you know even going down the line to um how you know how would other people respond if you know it, it kind of follows the line of even death anxiety sometimes that's that at the heart of health anxiety so we try and work around making that a less scary prospect which takes yeah. a lot of individual kind of work but i think with with getting very anxious about covid right now and this pandemic is really really understandable and i think actually the the resources to cope might not be there initially but we can definitely research what what helps us to cope in this pandemic and i think stress management is um a real key one and and you know that involves a whole range of things and you can work out what works best for you um yeah yeah okay and what are the key what sort of key tools for stress management or in terms of because a lot of these things are normally tailored to the person as well in terms of how they're actually responding but what are the key messages that we need to get out to people to actually understand how to deal with the the stressful situation that we're all in at this point absolutely i think the first thing is really to to try and help our mind out by creating some nice st stability um okay give it less to kind of latch on to and less uncertainty that it's got to cope with so just having a routine mm. which actually can be a lot harder if you are working from home or if you've been furloughed or if you've lost your job it's so important to to sit down and really intentionally think about what do i want to be in my routine what are key cornerstones going to be in the day that will keep me kind of ticking over and what yeah. are some things that i can look forward to in that routine you know it doesn't all have to be housework and trying to be extra productive and things it might be a nice bath or 
um yeah batch cooking meals if that's something that you enjoy also um once you've got that routine in place i think think making sure that you've got a good sleeping ritual so that that's not going out of the window um again when we're not leaving the house as much we have less of those natural cues that that cues into what time of day it is and when we should be going yeah. to sleep and also our screen time will be a lot higher because that's how we're communicating with people yeah so try and just input things like an hour before bed not having any screen time maybe reading a book instead or listening to some music and and winding down for the night having again the, that script the strict schedule-ish um for wake times and sleep times and trying to keep that for the weekend you're allowed to lie in but try not to let that overrun um too much because again we're trying to keep the body um in a nice rhythm to to help the mind <laughs> i think um over and above routine our mind is looking for things to problem solve because it keeps detecting threat 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 <laughs> so i think um helping the mind out again in terms of trying to identify what is within our control and what's out of our control sometimes it can be really really useful to categorize worries mm. so i like to help think about worries in three categories one is hypothetical future worries so they haven't yet happened they're not happening in the present one is a present worry but it's outside of our control yeah. so my neighbors caught covid well we can't do anything about that um and one is um it's within our control and is a present worry so we can do something about it the first two are, are out of our control we could think of hypothetical solutions but there really is no benefit if we don't know whether it's come to pass or not and yeah. it's happened and it's outside our control and we, we've had a little think about it and there's nothing we can do we're just doing ourselves more harm kind of thinking it over and we're making things you know really difficult for ourselves so when we've identified okay the worry fits into one of these two categories then it's time to do something else and sometimes it's really difficult to think about other things if we're just sat there so it might be that we would instead you know do something different that can involve our mind and take our engagement and that might be watching tv or a movie for a bit of escapism it might be reading a book it might be cooking or doing housework whatever works you know and there might be different things for different times of the day or different moods so so helping helping ourselves out in that way um and then if it is something that we've identified that we can do something about then making a plan and deciding when we can start the action towards that plan it might not be straight away it might be the next day and just scheduling it in and then we know okay tomorrow that's getting dealt with in the meantime yeah. if i worry about it it's not going to help me out at all um so it's licensed to disengage again and then yeah go and choose something else to do that's going to be nourishing for you yeah yeah and that's really interesting and does that apply as well to sort of symptom focused anxiety so are we then if, and how can we address symptom focused anxiety in terms of people honing in on like the diarrhea and the toilet paper or the coughing the fever you know those those features of covid mm. yeah how how so like um yeah have you got an example 
So in terms of if let's say um, so in symptom focused anxiety where people have health anxiety and they're focused mm-hmm. on you know whether it's the pain or the headache. Um, yeah. So in COVID in in COVID nineteen situations where people are so it is a worry that I could get it. I don't mm-hmm. have it now, but I could get it. And so every single time yeah. my child coughs, um, I right. look at them twice or mm-hmm. every single time I have a tickle in my throat, you know, it raises my anxiety levels. Is yeah. there any way that we can sort of try to divert that in the same way you talk about worry yeah. management? Absolutely. Yeah, I think it absolutely applies there. You know, if my child's coughed, is there anything I can do about it in this present moment that's going to prevent anything from happening? And really thinking about that, you know, do I need to call my GP? Would the GP be able to do anything? Probably not at this stage. So what here's the choice i can either really obsess over it worry over it and hone in on any cough or lack thereof and cause a lot of stress for myself and for my child um or i can just kind of see how it plays out and in the meantime enjoy some company with my child or doing something different Mm. so yeah i think it absolutely does apply obviously it is difficult um, and it takes some practice but that's where you can make it easier on yourself if you preemptively perhaps write a list of different activities that do help you disengage from thinking just generally not doesn't have to be worried thinking yeah yeah and in terms of covid so i think there have been quite a lot of uh, motivational speakers talking about how everybody really ought to use this lockdown period to you know write their book or you know finish writing their plays and you know get a grip on their lives and you know become extremely productive mm-hmm. um but i always feel as though sometimes that might be destructive for some people is is that accurate yeah i think so i agree with that completely i think everybody deals with stress and potential threat and uncertainty very differently and also the the effect of lockdown it might not be stress people might not be particularly worried about covid but actually um they're not seeing their family they're not seeing their friends they live in a house that's you know a flat share or something and and they don't particularly get on with their housemates so there's a whole range of factors that can affect how we feel with the new measures of lockdown so to assume that everybody's suddenly got free time and energy and creativity to to yeah as you say kind of sort their lives out or be the, be the next big author um it's not really fair and i think acknowledging the effect that the current situations are having on us is, is more important and that might change and acknowledging that too you know one day might be better than another and that's quite comforting because then when you are having the bad days you can see well actually two days ago it, it was a bit better so just because yeah. i'm having day now doesn't mean it's going to keep being like this yeah 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 i suppose putting things in perspective as well and just trying to acknowledge the the good bits also helps Mm. us um you know with gratitude as well going forward um and i was going to say something as well about isolation and how the lockdown you know causes people to be isolated and obviously with anxiety and depression isolation is sort of what we normally refer to as a red flag or something that we get concerned about when yeah. people have um, anxiety-related um, illnesses or living, living with depression. How mm. would you encourage people to deal with the isolation that's being enforced on us currently? I think we have to get really creative. And, and that's the difficulty if you do have depression or low mood. 
even if you don't really, it can be really difficult to think creatively. Mm. So, so seeking support first and foremost, if your mood is low, mm. um, like I say, the improving access to psychological therapies, which is nationwide, uh, the doors are still open. They're taking remote appointments. Um, you can still get get the help there, and so mm. that help is really really useful to to yes. help come up with some creative ways to not be isolated, um, and and also to give you a bit of enthusiasm maybe about them because sometimes you see them written on paper or on a website like yeah but no not for me. Whereas mm. if you think about the logistics or you know how it might work or how it could be tweaked so it's something that's palatable to you and you're encouraged to just try it out and see then it could be something that actually makes you think actually this is this is quite good and and one thing that i've noticed um a personal kind of benefit drawing all of this i've got uh, really close friends across the country and I, I hardly ever um, speak to them or get to see them. And now what's been really nice is, you know, everyone being forced in the same situation, everyone is reaching out for using yeah. video calls or FaceTime or um, just phone calls to, to keep in touch. So yeah. it feels like everyone's available so that the connections are there. You know, it's not the same as when everyone's out and having a social life and you're isolated people are, are more likely to pick up the phone and more likely to want to hear from you. So maybe it's licensed to try out getting in touch with people on different mediums, I would say. And yeah, 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 that's great. And what do you think? So obviously the way the lockdown's gone, it's definitely changed the way we interact with each other as well. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's also changed the things that we prioritize as well, the things mm -hmm. that we feel are actually important. Do you think that this is going to significantly change how we live and interact with each other going forward once it's all over? I wonder, I think there was a bit of research saying that it would, you know, even things like the handshake might be phased out after this, or it might take a while to, to come back. Um, yeah, I can't, I can't say, I can't call it, but I, what I'm hoping is some of the, the beneficial things that are starting to emerge from this, the, the acknowledgement of how important social connection is to us. Yeah. Hopefully that is something that is prioritized and thought about a bit more explicitly um, as we go forward and, and also, I guess you know giving people the license to be more sociable but in a smaller quantity because <laughs> i think sometimes it's a real barrier especially in london yeah. you know everybody lives all over the place it's yeah. Yeah. yeah and then people don't go out and do things sometimes or they'll do it like once a month whereas now we've all seen that it works to have a, a house party for an hour yeah. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. so i think those yeah. are quite nice aspects that might stay i think um also, perhaps you mentioned gratitude before, you know, honing in on the small things that really make us tick. That's something that we are having to do now to really adapt to this so that we don't, you know, go crazy just being confined in, in one space a lot of the time. And that's a really important kind of thing to do just generally in life. It's been associated with increased psychological flexibility, increased optimism, better health outcomes. So the more we can practice that now when we have to, um, the more likely we're going to retain that going forward. And that's going to do us um, good, really. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned something about optimism as well in terms of gratitude and, you know, psychological flexibility mm -hmm. um, and stability as well. 
in times of stress, we often have sort of either the pessimist, the optimist, and then people who are somewhere in between. Does optimism in this situation, in this current sort of climate that we're in, how does that relate to stress? And do you feel as though excessive optimism can be a negative in stress management? Um, I don't. I, th- I think with relation to, to stress, um, optimism probably never is a negative, as far as I can really think about. Um, it might, you know, if we're overly optimistic, we might f- uh, not foresee particular um, risks or things. Dangerous, like yeah. But generally, we don't find that optimists are huge risk takers. Um, mm. So, so I think optimism is is a real protective thing yeah we don't have to I think there was some debate about whether you know these traits of optimism extroversion are actually very valid anymore because we're finding that um, these traits aren't as stable and enduring and they might be different in different circumstances and change over time and things like that so I think we can all you know be um have qualities of all of them in in different shapes and forms and we can definitely teach ourselves to be more optimistic through kind of what we do with our attention and paying attention to the weather when it's really nice and really with enjoying that cloud display or something like that has a positive effect on our 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 mind Um, and we really kind of encode that information and then that has a a knock-on effect on our mood and so forth yeah yeah and I often find that groups of people and also the people that you surround yourself with as well often have a role to play in terms of how you think and how you perceive things um and whether or not you're prone to pessimism or optimism so Mm -hmm. what kind of advice would you give someone in this situation who perhaps is surrounded by a group of people who only think the worst and are sending out conspiracies and they don't want to dwell on those conspiracy theories and they they want to look for hope what kind of advice would you tell them about changing their environment yeah i think that's a real difficult one because it it really depends doesn't it because sometimes these are it depends if these uh, people are um you know family that we can't opt out of necessarily (laughs) from the whatsapp groups and whatnot um or or you know our main circle of friends i think if we have got a bit of an option and they're more acquaintances or you know distant friends we can mute them for a little while so it doesn't have a penetrating impact on our own mood and anxiety levels if it is you know people that we're closer to and we want to keep in touch with them still I think now is the time where we really need to consider um, being assertive, assertiveness. Uh, This is one of the things that I work with clients on quite a lot, which, you know, it's not a very British thing. And we think of assertiveness on a spectrum. So there's kind of passive, which ends up as passive aggressive. And then on the other end, there's aggressive, which is obviously not good either. And in the middle is assertive. So it's the ability for us to assert our own needs, you know, in a really reasonable way and with good communication. So I think, you know, it's well within our right to reflect back to the group, the impact that that kind of information and chat has on us and it's really reasonable to say at this time i'm feeling really anxious and i'm unable to cope with these messages if you want to share these things is it okay if we make a separate whatsapp group or something so that you can do that and then we can have this group for just keeping in contact and see how people respond to that and you know 
sometimes people um, are flipping and whatnot, but there's this parrot technique where you just keep saying the same thing until people really hear what your needs are. Um, because I just think that's really important. There's no need to um, have to withstand anxiety provoking information all the time. And actually, you know, we worked out something with our own kind of family WhatsApp group, which was we can do news updates just after, you know, the, the PM speech or the, you know, the government speech at half six. And then from then we don't have it in the group anymore. <laughs> and that and that's a, that's really well. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. That would work really well because it just, it limits how much information and you know, you can avoid it at that specific time. Yeah. Is there something about stress and sort of chaos and upheaval that causes us to lean towards anxiety um, provoking information conspiracy theories and things like that is there is there anything sort of an explanation or a hypothesis again as to why why that happens I don't know about conspiracy theories I know if we're stressed or worried um just like when we were talking about the safety behaviors you know one of the key mm -hmm. safety behaviors in health anxiety is to google 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 because you want to get as much information as information possible. yeah so you within 2.5 seconds that you've got cancer or <laughs> brain tumor yeah oh yeah exactly yeah, <laughs> all, definitely. all the time yeah yeah um, so, so that is, you know, it's meant to be a protective thing. We're trying to get gather information, and what tends to happen is the more information we search for, the more anxiety-provoking information we find. That's just the way it works when we're looking to looking into, you know, scary areas um, of information, like around a pandemic or whatnot. Maybe with conspiracy theories it's comforting again maybe it's a protective thing if it's if it's a government conspiracy and there's not a real threat then it feels a bit more manageable or whatever um so that that would be my my hypothesis but then you know saying that i think about conspiracy theorists about the flat earth and i just don't understand that at all <laughs> yeah 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 exactly yeah yeah <laughs> There's just so many out there, um, so I, I don't know how they how they come about them. But someone was saying something really interesting. I got an email from a business network, and they were talking about how um, people's exes from previous relationships are now, you know, sort of working their way back into lives and things. Is there something about this lockdown and this isolation that then causes people to yearn for relationships that are, you know, decades old, um, even toxic ones? Mm. I guess that makes sense to me, um, especially if people are considering lockdown on their own and they're currently single, to yearn for an ex makes perfect sense. Um, we, we can rose tint the, the past thinking about how great it would be if we were only there with such and such um, mm. a great time. So, so that does make huge sense to me. And maybe there's something about thinking about mortality you know that the, the death rates rising and people get worried about that and, and it makes them think about their lives and their decisions so maybe there's something in that too um yeah and how how would you then encourage people to then address those situations um and not then fall into the traps that they you know come out of in the past or then potentially get into more dangerous patterns now yeah i think again it comes down to acknowledging what your experience is i think we're very good at being ruled by 
our automatic brain, which is kind of doing calculations in the background all the time that we're not necessarily aware of. So we might not know that we're yearning for an X for particular reasons or, you know, that that's hugely driven by a desire just to have some company. But and we might think that we're we're coping quite well, um, but we're relying on something quite heavily. So I think, you know, checking in with ourselves what i do find is really useful to to acknowledge things is to journal it's not for everybody but i think putting pen to paper and not filtering what you write just asking your questions how do you feel what's on your mind what's worried me recently and um, yeah what's the thing that keeps coming up those questions can be can really prompt some awareness that we might not have had before and then once you've got that awareness then you've got more of a choice on how you want to respond and you can you know work through things a bit more logically do i really want to get back with such such and such these are the pros these are the cons and, and then you've got a bit more of an insight rather than trying things automatically without thinking them through necessarily them through and in times of um peace or you know because they've described sort of covid as almost a sort of wartime wartime mm. living <laughs> to a certain to, to a certain extent but in times of peace and um you know stability you know work is fine you're able to go out freely mm. and dealing with stress at those kind of times so work stress or home related stress do we manage are we encouraged to manage stress in the exact same way that you've described sort of you know separating it into sort of hypothetical and actually likely to happen as well yeah i guess um the, the hypothetical you know separating out into those categories has worked really well for generalized anxiety and worry yeah stress again is such a huge term because it it can it can be used to describe so many things stress like you say it could be work stress it could be home stress it could yeah. be arising from particular situations so again i think first acknowledging what it is that's causing you stress and if that is you know that could be generalized anxiety about lots of different things or it could be a work situation that needs resolving um it, yeah it, it could be a whole heap of things or that life's really stressful so i think the, the first step would be to, to work out what the stress is and, and what the difficulty is in managing that and then from yeah. there making decisions about what's the best step sometimes it can be resolved by um, doing something practical but other times yeah you can use those you know controllable versus uncontrollable but i think yeah it, it is true to say you know having a routine really helps us out and gives us that stability yeah sleep is hugely important for our, our health and our mental health so so having a good routine there is great um and i suppose the kind of under underlying theme of all of this discussion is tapping into what is on our minds and some of us are really good at doing that but generally i think as humans we're not <laughs> our brain just takes over automatically and we can be on yeah. autopilot quite a lot of the time so giving ourselves you know permission just to check in there but sometimes yeah. that's easier said than done because it might feel like that, that's a really scary thing to do so yeah seeking help as well if it feels like it's not something we're equipped to do on our own yeah and um, what and i was actually just going to talk about that as well in terms of you know seeking therapy um practicing mindfulness mm -hmm. things like that um and obviously there's 
often people who feel that actually no I don't want to talk about my problems um I don't want to talk to a stranger about what's going on um or maybe they've not had any personal encounters of the benefits of of talking therapies especially what would you say to that sect of people that do need therapy but have these barriers to actually accessing it because of their their strongly held beliefs i guess i guess i'd be interested what is the reason behind not wanting to go for therapy often that might be a sense of shame or feeling that's a, that's a sign of weakness there might be these pervasive stigma ideas about what it means to go and see a therapist um, and whether that means we're really mentally unwell or not um, my personal view is that therapy is helpful for everyone. It just is a matter of finding out which is the right one for you. Um, so I'd be curious, first of all, to get them to inquire, you know, what are my concerns? And then seeing if they can look at it from any other perspective, you know, would they have these views about therapy if it was somebody else? And if they heard that therapy had the potential to to be really useful and that lots of people had found that it did help their depression or it helped them manage a really difficult situation at work or whatever it might be um what would the benefit be of not trying it at all versus trying it even if they see that no it wasn't for me at the first place surely you stand to gain rather than something to lose that is great that is awesome thank you so much that has been fantastic um could you just give us a championship point something for people to take home bite size yeah i think keep um a routine and a healthy sleeping pattern try and work out what is within your control and what's outside of your control and use activities that can help take your mental energy and engage you to to help manage stress and do ask for help if you need it awesome and do you recommend any of the mindfulness apps are there any apps that you recommend in terms of helping mental health um my favorite one is one called meditation studio app um i don't know though a disclaimer because i practice mindfulness a lot whether i like it because it's deepening my practice so good beginner apps might be um headspace is absolutely fine it's a good taster um and somebody told me about insight timer as well but i haven't used it but i think there's a lot of free meditations on there so any of them really all um it all gives you an insight into working with your mind and as long as the message in the the mindfulness apps or to pay attention with kindness and gentleness then you're you're on the the right lines that is awesome thank you so much for coming on today you're welcome it's been a pleasure thank you for joining us on today's episode do share this podcast with two people who have not heard about us before remember that this podcast in no way replaces advice from your own doctor or physician do subscribe and follow us on social media leave us a review on itunes so that others can access the amazing content and do join the club at a sliceofhealth.club and drop us some suggestions or questions that you might have don't forget to be a health champion wherever you go by separating health fact from health fiction Thank you.